University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. So there is no secret among us that I am a Star Wars nerd. You know it to be true. You know, for the first time I learned, uh, I heard the opening reprise of John Williams' composed theme song and the crawl of the episode's story. I have longed for a galaxy far, far away. Now, one thing that makes the Star Wars saga so great is the music. Can you imagine the entrance of Darth Vader without the Imperial March or the freezing of Han Solo and Carbonite without the sound of Leia and Han's theme? The original film, A New Hope, the movie ends with this great big old throne room scene full of the sound of an orchestra. I can't play you uh, that song right now because of copyright purposes. It will literally, the algorithm will shut down our live stream. But however, I can play for you what this scene would look like and sound like if there was no music. Let's watch. Kind of like this, very quiet, no sound. I think you've got to click the space bar, click the slide. There we go. Do we have the sound turned up at all? No. Just makes it even awkwarder, right? More awkward? Well, if we had played the actual sound of the thing, you would have heard how awkward and emotionless and clunky it actually can be. What if I told you that to thrive as a church without doing the little big things, like the experience of an epic film without its music score, it would be clunky and emotionless and hilariously awkward? We're in our, our new series, The Little Big Things, How Shared Spirit-Led Commitments Drives Oversized Results. And we're looking at, more often than not, the difference between thriving and floundering as a church is whether or not we commit to doing the small things that make an incredible difference. We're examining the book of Acts, who hosts this overarching theme throughout the book in which it states again and again that the church grew in number. So for this, we take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 19, that reads, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. There's that key statement again. The church grew in numbers. Even in the face of persecution, the stoning of the deacon Stephen in Jerusalem, Jesus' followers are scattering in fear, 
people were still coming to believe in Jesus. And, and we see that it's not just the Jews in Jerusalem coming to faith, but the Hellenistic people throughout Greece. And it's amazing what can happen when the gospel is shared and lived out. People come to believe in Jesus and desire to live their lives in the way that he taught. But we'll soon see that following Jesus is more than just a prayer and initial belief. As the church will soon send leaders to teach and to train and to equip the people to grow in their faith. But we must not lose sight of the fact that the gospel was being preached and lived out, and as a result, new people were coming to faith and the church was thriving. It says this in verse 22. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the great, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain in the truth of the Lord with all of their heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, key from last week, and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus and to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Have you ever wondered where the term Christian comes from? Well, now you know the answer. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Before the term Christian was coined, the people that were believing in Jesus were called many different things. Disciples, followers of Jesus, followers of the way. And all these labels were an attempt to define what it looks like to do this whole Jesus thing. Because it was different than what they had experienced before. Here we find that the people following this carpenter from Nazareth that was brutally tortured and murdered on a cross and yet resurrected. It tells us that this whole Jesus thing was more than just some religious practice. It was more than temple visits and offerings and sacrifices. This was something to, to follow, a, a new teaching to live by, a, a new way to form our lives around. And so the word Christian used in our text literally means little Christ. It's a linguistic way of saying that the people who follow Jesus are trying to imitate Jesus, his life, his teachings, and his ministry. Whatever they're doing in Antioch was working because the book of Acts tells us yet again that they were growing. A great number of people were brought to the Lord. What was the little big thing they were doing? Well, let's first unpack what they were not doing before we get to what they were actually doing. Last Christmas uh, break, our family uh, went on a road trip to Utah. And instead of doing, you know, the thing that makes sense, getting on a plane and flying to Las Vegas or Salt Lake City and then driving to the Utah National Parks, we decided to drive from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Moab, Utah. Over two days of driving, 24 hours, we arrived finally in Moab, Utah, which is home of Canyonlands National Park and in Arches National Park. And you tell me there's nothing more awe-inspiring than seeing the desert covered in snow. I know I talked about this a couple weeks ago. 
But, but our plan wasn't just to see arches or canyon lands. We also were there to see Capitol Reef National Park, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, Bryce Canyon National Park, Zion National Park, uh, Veramont Cliffs National Monuments, Horseshoe Bend and wrap it all up with the granddaddy of them all, the Great Canyon. So arriving in Moab after 22 plus hours of driving didn't get us to the rest of the places that we wanted to see. Now, we actually had to drive in a collective 30 more hours to see these other seven sites. You see, one of our biggest failings as the church is we've too often come to a place where we believe where we have arrived. We've been preaching to people for so long about this Jesus thing as if it's only about asking people, asking Jesus into your heart, saying a little prayer, being baptized, and then collecting your ticket into eternal glory. However, never once did Jesus tell us that that's what this whole thing is about. Praying a prayer and believing in Jesus is just the first step of an ongoing journey with Jesus. As Brian McLaren put it, faith is never intended to be a destination, a status, a holding tank, a warehouse. Instead, it is to be a road, a path, a way out of the old and destructive patterns and into a new and creative one. To become little Christ, to follow in the way of Jesus, we're setting out on an ongoing process of being shaped and formed by God in a lifelong process of transformation. As one person put it, the way to formation, spiritual wholeness, lies in an increasingly faithful response to the one whose purpose shapes our path, whose grace redeems our detours, whose power liberates us from crippling bondage of our prior journey, and whose transforming presence meets us at each turn in the road. So the little big thing from our text was not just believing as if they had arrived, but committing to an ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. One thing that the ancients didn't have for sure is the luxury of online streaming entertainment options. <laughs> Jennifer and I recently wrapped up a series that we thoroughly enjoyed, and so we polled friends on what they thought we should watch next. And the results were about 100 different shows on endless platforms. Really, there are a gazillion streaming options out there now with endless content. And where does one even begin to pick out what to add to their customized watch list. You see, the American version of Christianity has created this on-demand and customized spirituality, but it's problematic at best. You see, without realizing it, we have turned our relationship with God into a platform to add things we like, thumb down the content we really are not interested in, and never get to the stuff that will really challenge us to become more like Jesus. And this on-demand and customized spirituality has not come by accident. It's, it's a product of our culture. We are a people of commodity. We want what we want when we want it. And bending our spirituality to fit into the system of commodity, it only makes sense. We've been trained to do only the things that benefit us in advance— to advance our dream of success and financial well-being and extraordinary comfort. 
My spirituality will be shaped by only what benefits me. But the problem is, the invitation of Jesus is completely counterintuitive to that thought. That's why no one likes to take serious the many times that Jesus taught against a world of gratification and materialism and individuality. So that's why we ignored the really tough stuff. Going for the fast and comfortable and reasonable and will require the least amount of change. So the little big thing from our text that led them to thriving was not customizing spirituality that worked out the way they wanted to live. Now, I'm a very active person. I thoroughly enjoy putting my body through as much pain and suffering as possible through exercise. I'm blessed to be able to run three days a week and do high-intensity workouts three days a week. And the whole cottage industry dedicated to fitness, whether to be fitness classes or online instructions or exercise equipment or gyms or clothes. And beyond fitness, we invest so much money into our health and our appearance. The medical industry is a multi-trillion dollar enterprise of maintaining, improving, and regaining our health. The health and beauty industry is equally as big. There is product lines that outnumber the stars in the sky. We humans invest quite a lot of time and attention, and energy, and money into cultivating our exterior selves. We deeply desire that our outer self look more youthful, and healthy, and beautiful, and maybe a little taller. I don't know. What more can you ask for? The Apostle Paul calls us to the the opposite of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he says, Therefore, do not lose heart, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. This is what's at the heart of our text. Formation is cultivating the soul through a vibrant connection with God. Spiritual formation is a process, but it's also a journey by which we open our hearts to deeper connection with God. We're not just bystanders in our spiritual lives, but we're active participants with God who is ever inviting us into relationship with God. Jesus in the Gospel of John compares our relationship to God with like a a grapevine to branches. Though our deep connection to God, we receive all the nutrients and sustenance we need to thrive from the inside out. And through our deep connection to God, we begin to bear fruit in our lives. You see, spiritual formation helps us reclaim our relationship with God as it was meant to be. It's not trying to, it's, 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 it's training our eternal living, determined discipleship in Jesus. It's a way of discovering renewable source of spiritual energy that we've been looking for. I love how McLaren put it when he wrote, what we all want is pretty simple, really. We want to be alive, to feel alive, not just to exist, but to thrive, to live out loud, to walk tall, to breathe free. We want to be less lonely, less exhausted, less conflicted or afraid, more awkward, more grateful, more energized, and more purposeful. This is what the little big thing is in our text, the commitment to formation. And we we see the power of these Christians tapping into the wisdom and nuance of their creator 
and thriving as a result. I love how the writer of Acts conveys it to us that the formation of these Christians in Antioch took time, stating that Barnabas and Saul were meeting with them and teaching them for a whole year. Formation takes time. And for many that grew up uh, maybe in the Catholic Church, you're familiar with the term catechism. This practice actually has its roots in the first century of the church. It was a formal process in which people new to faith went through the process of being mentored and learning the teachings of Jesus. It was so deeply personal and communal process of being formed and transformed and equipped and deployed to be agents of Jesus and the world. And in the second century of the church, candidates for baptism were required to go through this formal process and were unable to call themselves a Christian until they had gone through the process of training and being equipped and being formed. And to be approved for baptism, you actually had an oral exam with the leaders of the church. Now, what we can learn from our ancient forebears of faith is that they took spiritual formation seriously. They believed it was an essential part of following Jesus. They believed it was a critical part of being interwoven in a faith community, and they took the time to become more like Jesus. My first car was a 1988 Jeep Cherokee Pioneer. I love that car. I still smell that car occasionally. I constantly kept it clean. I washed, I waxed it often. I paid for for bigger tires to be put on, and I got the windows tinted. I thought it was a pretty big deal at 16 years old. And one day I was driving to school, and the engine sputtered, and the car shut off. I tried to crank it, and all I heard was a horrible sound of grinding metal. And after the mechanic picked it up and took a look at it, he informed um, my dad and I that the engine was destroyed due to a lack of oil. You see, what had happened was that there was this small leak in the engine, and I, I spotted the oil on the driveway, and over a couple months, it slowly dripped out to the point that there was no oil left in the engine. My lack of personal responsibility uh, to look after the core components of my Jeep slowly led to a catastrophic engine failure. That was my personal responsibility to do that. And that's what I want us to see from the text. Formation takes personal responsibility. It takes personal responsibility to get up on a Sunday morning to engage in worship, whether in person or online. It takes personal responsibility to get connected with a spiritual formation or Sunday school class where we can have deeply spiritual conversations. But beyond these two primary ways the church facilitates opportunities for formation, it takes personal responsibility to cultivate daily moments for formation in your life. This summer, we did a a 10-week series on the many different types of prayer. Daily, we have the opportunity to do something bold and audacious, communicating with our Creator. And whether the conversation be with God, the moments of, of confessing our wrongdoing or thanking God for the many blessings of our life, or whether that conversation uh, with God be about asking God to forgive those who have wronged us or asking God to increase our faith, or uh, uh, prayer is an extraordinary mechanism of formation. And when we have this 
remarkable, living, breathing source called the Bible that tells the story of God's good work in the world and teaches us the wisdom of God and lays out all the ways of Jesus and calls us to be agents of God's love in this world. There are endless books and resources out there to nurture you, to challenge you, to to give you guidance on how to grow to become more like Jesus. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we taking advantage of the extraordinary word of God on a daily basis? And I get it. It it can be intimidating, and and you don't know where to start. I've, I've been studying the good book for decades, and I have three major degrees around it, and still I find myself at the depth and mystery of it all. However, a lack of understanding should not prevent us from seeking to understand. And if we live Sunday to Sunday in our mentality, receiving only a word from God during worship, then we're not taking personal responsibility for our formation. And if you strip away the Sunday morning facade of going to church and occasionally the God lingo in our lives and the ritual prayers that we say before a meal, do we have depth in our connection with God? But what if we choose a different path? What if we choose to follow the Jesus revealed in the Gospels, the one who called us to live by his teachings and way of life and told us that if we do so, we will find life to the full? What would happen if we spent a day, every day with the Lord in prayer, multiple times a day, intentionally asking God to transform us from the inside out? What if we ask God each day to show us a new way of living, a new way of finding fulfillment in this world? And yet, formation is not a solitary journey. You see, we we look back at our text and we see the extraordinary nature of interconnected relationships within the church. They were journeying together. They were learning together. They were growing together. Formation is a journey with the church. And and I'll be the first to admit that I don't know it all. Surprise, right? I thought y'all would laugh a lot harder at that. My wife did. We aren't supposed to know it all. We're supposed to figure this thing out together. See, together we challenge each other to grow deeper in God. Together we examine the difficult texts and questions. Together we remind each other of the great teachings of Jesus. Together we make disciples. That's the goal and the vision of the church, to be an interconnected community of disciples making disciples. It's why we exist. It's not for the music It's not for the great coffee. It's not for the building. It's not for the lovable idiot of a pastor. We exist to bring people to Jesus. As they choose to follow Jesus, we journey alongside them to help them grow with God. Connecting deeper to God together is an act of community. It's an invitation to live a life in such a way that allows us to help shape the spiritual lives of others while we simultaneously are having our lives shaped and formed by someone else. Are you committing yourself to the relationships here in this community? Are you opening your life up and being vulnerable enough to allow other people to shape and form you? And can we also humbly see that our presence helps shape the lives of others? Look at what it says in verse 27 as it wraps up. During this time, some of the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus, that's a great name, you ought to name one of your children next, by the way, stood up 
and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread throughout the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, dedicated to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The last thing I want us to take away from the text is that formation leads to thriving in other little big ways. The people of Antioch were growing in their faith. They were being formed to become more like Jesus. And as a result, they were becoming more attuned to what the Spirit of God was doing in their lives and in the community around them. The Christians in Antioch recognized that to truly live out the way of Jesus, they needed to live out his calling to love their neighbors in real ways. So they began to share their resources, their talents, their time to meet the needs of others. When we are being formed by the Spirit of God to become more like Jesus, to live out his ways, then our faith grows beyond just a self-centric belief system and into caring what happens in our world to our neighbors and especially to those experiencing struggle and injustice. Loving our neighbors is interwoven with our capacity to thrive spiritually. Our spiritual growth leads us into other little big ways. Or as Paul wrote to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all, training us to renounce impiety and worldly passions, and in the present age to live lives that are self-control and upright and godly, while we wait for the blessed hope and manifestation of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He, it is who had given himself up that we might redeem all the iniquities and purify himself of a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. Are we willing to pursue Jesus with a desire to learn, to grow, and to be transformed into his likeness? Are we willing to see that we have not arrived yet? For formation is an ongoing, beautiful, lifelong process. And are we willing to take the time and personal responsibility to learn to live in the way of Jesus? Are we willing to journey alongside others for the sake of their formation and for ours within a church community that seeks ever so imperfectly the perfect way of Jesus and we're called to live it out together? And are we willing to see that our faith goes beyond beliefs that turns into action, into loving compassion and service towards our world? As one author put it, you are not finished yet. You are in the making. You have the capacity to learn, mature, think, change, and grow. You also have the freedom to stagnate, regress, constrict, and lose your way. Which road will you take? Let's go into a time of reflection this morning.